welcome to the AHA Process webinar podcast series. To view the webinar with video, please visit ahaprocess.com. In this installment, Bridges Out of Poverty co-author Terry Drusey-Smith talks about applying Bridges concepts in the healthcare sector. Terry is also co-author of the book Bridges into Health and Healthcare, New Solutions for Improving Access and Services. Good morning and good afternoon, wherever you may be. Um, I am pleased to be with you today. As you know, I've been around for quite a while as co-author of Bridges Out of Poverty, which we um, was first published in 2000. So we began writing it way before that, so I've been at this almost 20 years. I'm very happy to have had this as my life work. I think that um, Bridges uh, makes a forever difference because um, and helping people transition out of poverty and into health. It, uh, it goes from generation to generation. So <clears throat> hopefully you will find the same, or you may already feel the same. I had the opportunity to attend um, the American Congress of Healthcare Executives and had quite a bit of dialogue and interaction with some kind people who um, were very interested, by the way, in Bridges to Health and Healthcare. And I wanted to share with you um, their insights and my insights as I spoke to them about how um, Bridges to Health and Healthcare is a fit, uh, particularly with population health merging into uh, individual clinical medicine. And that is a big push right now. And I also wanted to share with you uh, how population health research actually supports um, the ideas of Bridges Out of Poverty in terms of environments and how environments may actually push health behaviors and, of course, uh, different priorities, different motivations, because the environment <clears throat> for all of us is so powerful. And I think that, um, you know, the, the way we look at economic class and have a way to analyze that gives people an opportunity to see things, you know, in a different way, uh, look at what you're doing and how you're planning and what your programming is every day in a, in a different aspect so that you can have different outcomes, perhaps. So that's uh, my general summary of what we're going to be talking about. And I hope to have a lot of time at the end uh, for questions. So I, I hope that uh, for those of you that aren't really familiar with Bridges uh, Out of Poverty, I will say just uh, a few words about that. It is um, a lens. It is not a program that helps us to analyze economic class and how powerful it is. There was a native Alaskan who um, had gone through Bridges Day One, and he said to me at the end, you know, um, on our resource hand, we culture and, and spirituality as an individual asset. And he said, what you've taught me today is how powerful my economic class is on uh, how much influence those environments have over me. But he said, the part of me uh, that is spiritual and the part of me is, that is cultural is the part of me that is sacred. But he said, economic class will never be the sacred part of me, but now I see that it is a fit and it is partly how I view my life. So I would look at it that way, and we are just breaking out economic class and looking at economic class environments and how those environments have an impact on us and how we relate to other people what, you know, based on our priorities, how we make decisions, um, what drives those decisions, how we communicate with one another, 
uh, how we connect with one another, and finally, how we look for strengths in one another through our resources. So that's a general summary, and I hope that this will pique your interest so that you will uh, look into more um, following this webinar. So I'm going to get started. So the first slide I have to share with you is um, the search for the Holy Grail. So the US is not doing a stellar job when it comes to healthcare outcomes. And so as you can see here, I just wanted to briefly share this with you. Um, you would think that having <clears throat> one of what we feel is the best healthcare systems in the world, and, and I feel the best healthcare providers that you could possibly access, we still have a lot of issues. A lot of those issues are from other areas and not just the treatment that we're receiving or the opportunities we have and access we have to treatment. So, you know, we do have a problem with uh, obesity-related illnesses and our diet, and, you know, there's a lot of conversation about that right now as well. So I, this was just kind of like, you remember that in the descriptor it said I would be talking about the what, the why, and the how. So basically this is the what. This is the situation that we are in, as well as a situation <clears throat> that is demanding health care reform. And ha you know this has been a process for many years of demanding health care reform. So what we know is the cost of health and health care increase. Um, the majority of baby boomers, of which I'm on the tail end, will be on Medicare by 2020. And that health is also related to education, economic status, and other environments and opportunities that we have in our life. So therefore, there's a lot of population health research, which this bullet addresses or is summarizing, um, that connects connects living in poverty, especially deep poverty and long poverty, which we would call generational poverty in our work, um, that would have a great influence on whether or not you're healthy or not. So we'll look at why that is in a moment. So the lack of resources that we have uh, reduce our individual ability to be healthy in our, our institution. Uh, may be struggling to, to stay afloat in all of the healthcare reform with all of the issues that our, that our communities and environments bring to the table, and then our community collective efficacy. So all three of these are very important when it comes to the Bridges model. And, I'll, and I was, had some insights about this when it came to how healthcare is moving in the direction of reform right now. And I noticed that only one of these three is really prominent, at least from the, uh, the sessions I was able to attend at the ACAG conference. It seems that everyone is moving in the direction of institutional change. So I have a few slides to share with you about that. So I'm sure that if you're in healthcare, you're familiar with the AAA. So there are three outcomes, um, of course, to improve population health outcomes. And this also means your individual health as well, so to improve health outcomes in general. The big one on the bottom right, which personally I think probably should be at the top, uh, is to improve and, and affordability, reduce cost, or at least maintain cost, and not keep this cost increase, which is really damaging to the entire system. <clears throat> it's kind of eroding the system. So improving the experience of the individual is on the other corner, and that you may have heard uh, the term patient experience, so improving patient experience. It, these are the three aims. So in a sense, if we're looking at the what, why, and the how, this is the why. 
this is where healthcare reform is driving uh, forward. And personally, I think that it's a, an excellent fit, especially, as you can see with the arrow, improving the experience of the individual, that patient experience. And that can have an impact on the health outcome and the affordability and the cost. So I think, obviously, these three are not, they are interconnected. And our expertise would be in the, the bottom corner there in improving the experience of the individual and of the population or the groups of individuals that um, challenge us in healthcare and challenge the costs. Typically, um, these are the healthcare research areas or those, um, those areas in which we look for outcomes and we are you know, planning towards. So improving access, of course. We have legislation now that improves access. And it has uh, kind of upset the entire barrel a little bit. And we're starting from scratch in many ways in healthcare systems. And to increase the availability of healthcare is also very important. So what's interesting is if you look at population health, actually, uh, when we look at the correlation between poverty or being um, a person of color in America, this can have an impact on, on those populations that may have uh, less uh, healthy or general overall health. Access is about 10% of what they determine is the reason um, that we have population health disparities. <clears throat> so cost and quality you saw again on the um, AAA model. So these are critically important at this point as well. So one day when we were writing um, Bridges to Health and Healthcare, and of course my co-authors are Ruby Payne, um, Jan Young, and Lucy Shaw, we have, we, uh, Lucy and Jan, who are healthcare providers, had provided this uh, graph for us. And one day Ruby added efficacy and communication to it because she said, this is what has been missing. And this is the more individual level, although we need efficacy at all three levels, individual, community, and policy, uh, and institutional as well. So when we looked at this, and, and she added this the complete picture sense of the why. Why use bridges is because you will be able to improve your efficacy and communication in order to have an impact. It's not working for me too well here, sorry. In order to have an impact in these four. So that's the complete picture. And, and of course, this is available in the Bridges to Health and Healthcare book. And if you have a presentation, it's also available in the handout. Oh, by the way, uh, what I learned at, as attending sessions and dialoguing with people, that right now um, the big push in healthcare seemed to be institutional change. And this, uh, this idea of involving um, the individual and community and policy in new ways has just been kind of put on the back burner. It's not that it isn't important. It's just that right now, <clears throat> institutional change and reducing costs seem to be filling everybody's inboxes and filling everybody's minds and strategies. So I actually had people label this as innovation. And innovation is something that is important. This is my this was my take on it. Something that was important in healthcare is understanding uh, population health, understanding that direct contact, and our view of individuals in poverty and as patients, and how those uh, that might change that patient outcomes. How we design 
uh, services for patients who may be high-end healthcare users. So all of this, um, in, some, in some people's mind, is, is something waiting to happen, which excited me because I thought, you know, maybe Bridges is slightly ahead of its time as, as one model that might help us uh, to be more effective uh, with patient engagement and population health. I'm sure there are others. But it excited me that people were interested. And when I would bring up questions and then give a little bit of the Bridges insight, uh, many of these executives would look at me and go, yeah, that makes sense to me. So that was a, that was a very powerful um, sort of aha for me <clears throat> in engaging on the very, very professional um, healthcare executives who are also very interesting people and very kind people to share with me. So um, again, this is just the Bridges model, and uh, it is not a program. It is just a way of looking at things, and it, it's got a common language, common mental models that people and institutions and communities can use to quickly get on the same page so that they can transfer theory into action as quickly as possible. <clears throat> And down at the bottom bullet are the things that uh, Bridges helps us to do at, at every level. I guess we should add um, increased population and individual health to that, because that is our belief, or I wouldn't be talking with you today. But to support people in transition um, is one of our biggest uh, challenges, uh, because federal and state policy really do not allow people to transition out of poverty. And I would ask you to um, Google excuse me, not Google, but go to YouTube and search <clears throat> for a film. It's just about eight minutes long, excuse me. It's called Adams County, The Gap. And it shows you how our federal policies in particular can be a barrier to people who uh, seek to get an education and trans, um, you know, transition out of poverty. So in terms of health, why, why should we have folks uh, transitioning out of poverty? How does that affect health? Well, of course. Uh, if you really buy into the population health research, you can see immediately <clears throat> that the poverty environment is eroding health in many ways. And that doesn't mean that individuals within poverty don't have health or wellness or general overall health. But as a population, statistically, it's very much lower for, for us when we're in the poverty environment than in the middle class. And that includes and wealthy environment and everything in between. So that includes the working poor as well, who are people who maybe have two or three jobs and are still not uh, at 200% of the federal poverty line, which is considered to be sustainable. Uh, the three lenses that we move the Bridges concepts through are to improve relationships and understanding, I would say, of concepts and so forth at the individual level and to improve outcomes at the organizational level. You know, no one really comes to this table or any table unless their institution is going to benefit from that, and that is absolutely fine, and it should. Uh, all of these individuals, um, the organizations, and the community should benefit from any model that you're using and any lens that you're using. Um, to change systems and to actually have an impact on policy, I think that um, we have several, quite a few, actually very strong Bridges communities who are helping people transition out at that level. And at least in one or two states, I think that it will eventually impact policy. Uh, again, this was just to illustrate that right now, <clears throat> it seemed to me in my dialogue with healthcare executives and you know, 
I was invited to a social hour with the South Carolina, I live in South Carolina, with the South Carolina contingency at the ACHE conference. Um, the focus right now for them <clears throat> was the supply chain, how to reduce costs, uh, which uh, knee replacement, the actual knee is the best buy for the money, how to train doctors to, um, to, to <clears throat> be able to use that knee and to be successful. And, you know, it was, it was a, a very interesting uh, experience because the change is moving so fast and so hard. I think people are just, you know, looking at what do we do, what are the best practices, where are we going with this. So all what our work brings to this is after the institutional change piece calms down a little bit for you, uh, I think that Bridges, the Bridges model offers strategies for <clears throat> how patients experience is going to have an impact on what you design. So in a sense, in our view, it would be helpful to use bridges at this point because if you're looking at patient experience, um, those, those high-end uh, users who are typically in environments of poverty can sort of diminish your health outcomes and increase your costs. So how do you address that? And so if we're addressing it institutionally, that's good. But we also need to understand individuals or those environments as we begin to plan. And of course, the community is there. And everyone knows that we need to be working together and that we need to have a collective impact <clears throat> on all of the issues in, um, in our society. Uh, Robert Wood Johnson did a study three or four years ago, and they asked physicians about um, what, what would they prescribe for their patients if they could prescribe anything. And many of those physicians said, I want to be able to uh, uh, prescribe um, transportation, and we would like that person to be able to have a health membership at a club, a health club. We would like that person to be able to have nutritious food and healthy food, because food is medicine. We want that person to have uh, safe and affordable housing and so forth. And so the issue is with our communities is our communities um, may be also getting funding to have community navigators that are working with our patients so that we can ensure a better outcome for those patients who are um, in environments of poverty and may not, don't have all of those resources. It's going to have an impact on your health in the short term as well as the long term. But I think what sometimes we fail to understand is that by looking and living in that certain environments, it changes our perspective. So that um, if I look at quality of life, what does that mean in the poverty environment compared to what does that mean to somebody who's in generational middle class environments? It can be very different. And as well as those who are in generational wealth environments. Now you notice I'm very careful to say environments because I never want to stereotype anyone within those environments. It's just that I'm going to show you in a few moments the impact that population health says the actual environment has on our social capital, on our relationships, on our motivation levels, and so forth. So I'm really not talking about individuals here. I'm talking about the population that may be within certain environments as however they're defined. Of course, we have certain ways of defining them. But we are open to every community 
um, making changes on what that actual environment of economic class might look like, might feel like, what do people do, what's the concrete experience in those different economic classes. One of the things that healthcare has uh, redesigned is who really uh, spends time with the patient. And when I'm talking about the patient, particularly I'm talking about those, um, let's see if I can get this ahead of my time, perhaps. I do. When I'm talking about patients that may be uh, grouped together, that healthcare systems um, or accountable care organizations may be um, contracting with a payer to provide services at a certain health services and at a certain uh, cost per patient. So what's happened is that um, you know the need for that individual touch is realized. So what's happened is that there are more um, and more positions opening up and more time is spent with individuals at this level, transitioning care nurses, uh, patient navigators, ongoing care coordinators, which are sort of like case managers. So this is, it's not exactly new to healthcare, but it's just being um, upgraded, I would say, so that you may have uh, either contract uh, with an entity that will provide this kind of the home visit, building relationship with the patient. Um, and that type of thing because the patient is not treatment compliant or and has an unnecessary readmission within 30 days, it's going to disrupt um, you know, the reimbursement or you're going to be, a, if you're an accountable care organization and you said, oh, you pledged, okay, we're going to be able to do this amount of health care for this group for, per person, those extra, um, you know, uh, hospital stays or using the emergency department, uh, the emergency department visits or using the emergency department as, as primary care are going to really have erode that bottom line. And it's in this environment, you just can't survive if that continues to happen. So it's good to see that there are uh, more people who are touching individual lives. Uh, the question is, uh, do we have a framework? Does everyone here have that framework for understanding the different e economic class? Or do they leave that home visit and go, you know, I really like that person, but I really don't understand why they live what they live, how they live, or why they make the choices they make? So that's a difficult situation. Um, so what we wonder sometimes is, you know, what I ask um, healthcare providers and even in public health, I say, do you think how your child's teacher views your child will have an effect on that child on your child's grades? And everybody's so enthusiastically saying, yes, absolutely. And I said, do you think it's true of healthcare professionals and, and public health professionals? Is how we view the individuals we're working with going to have an impact on that person's healthcare? And there's kind of a pause because people haven't really thought through that so clearly. They're looking at medicine, they're looking at healthcare as you know, a set of protocols and so forth. But what happens in certain environments is I may re react very differently when I'm in the poverty environment for three generations to something that would motivate someone in middle class in a heartbeat. Those that work in palliative care say uh, that sometimes what they see is that the middle class is more likely to accept that it is the end and that it's time to let this person pass with dignity because 
quality of life is missing. And you can see that as well in poverty, but sometimes in poverty where we tend to be driven by relationships, we may have a distrust of organizations. You know, why are you saying it's over? You know, and perhaps maybe don't experience the quality of life in the same, and that it's a driving force. I mean, quality of life, I would say, is pretty much a driving force in the middle class, and health is just surrounding, and it's just all over quality of life uh, for middle class environments where you've had stable resource, resources through generations. The patient is also going to see um, be involved with clinical processes and procedures. But if you look at this, the patients in these <clears throat> Medicaid and, and Medicare groups are really going to be seeing those individuals, um, these individuals, um, more often. But I, I don't, you know, I don't want to give the impression that only these these people who are touching the life of a patient need to understand Bridges ideas and Bridges to Health concepts, because those are the de designing the programs also have to provide an environment and time for uh, those interactions that are going to have the best outcome, health outcome, and reduce cost. So I just wanted to you know, remind you quickly of the po population health uh, research as well as some research on um, healthcare disparities. But this is going to be very brief. Most of the research that I'm citing here stems from uh, Sir Michael Marmot who is uh, from the UK, and he is sort of the go-to person <laughs> when it comes to population health. And I noticed at the ACAG conference that there's no longer much of a controversy about the population health research and the impact it has on individual health as well, which was very interesting. I have this little um, high-level healthcare users running around here because this can really rock the boat. So unless you understand, um, how to work with individuals who come from an entirely different environment. What do healthcare providers tend to call those high-level um, healthcare users who keep coming back and doing, uh, you know, what do you hear in the emergency department? Uh, are there labels for people um, who keep coming back and don't, you know, don't seem to be um, have a primary care physician or even have motivation to be healthy, but just seem to be coming back and using the emergency department sort of as a crutch. Okay, so people are saying frequent flyers. Marlena, would you like to add yours to the guys kind of like Marlena? Super users, there it is. Super users, med seeking individual. That's right. I and mean, we had some get ahead graduates who were giving um, the Ohio State Poverty Initiative some feedback, and they said they felt like when they went uh, to the physician or to the emergency department for help, um, they would um, be judged by various things, including you know that I'm med seeking and and just because I feel like I'm a part of a group that maybe is I'm not. I'm here because my stomach really hurts and it hurts badly, and so you know we see patterns and then um, we have um, you know the patterns have certain behaviors attached to them, so. I think that um, the tyranny of the moment has a lot to do with this. When we're in poverty, we're really in the now. And we may not really understand or have access. And this was at a time when individuals who were in poverty may not have had, especially in the working poor, had as much access to medical care as they do now. So here's the population health panel. Um, story that I wanted to tell you. So overall, the percent of, ad of adults who reported excellence or very good health by income and race. 
very interesting to see that people that are 200% of poverty level, which is considered a sustainable income, I'm not sure it would be in San Francisco, but it's a sustainable income in most places in America. And above that, which would be you know, people of wealth as people um, in middle class um, or upper middle class stable resources. Um, so you can see that um, among all groups, the economic class piece just cuts through. It's, it's just a thread that cuts through that. And I was um, attending uh, at the ACAG conference, a brilliant panel. And they had every, uh, almost every cultural um, and ethnic group represented at their table. And they were all healthcare executives. And they were talking about these different cultural aspects of race and ethnicity and how this had an impact and how you had to understand this about patients who were in these populations. But they, they didn't say anything about poverty. So they were talking about language barriers. And I, I asked the question later. I said, you know, you could be working in white Appalachia with poverty and there would still be language barriers. And they kind of looked at me and I said, we all know the population health research about poverty and the impact that environment has on population health. So it's a graph that just shows um, economic class and how within economic class there are huge disparities in health. And someone from Wisconsin raised his hand and said, absolutely. And we do recognize that in population health, we have to address poverty. So to go back to this one, so then I said, well, look at your table. It's economically diverse. Or it was very economically. And uh, there was also someone there who was representing um, sexual orientation differences and how that has an impact uh, when you're engaging in health services. And I said, but you don't have an economic, um, economically diverse table. And we all know that's one of the bottom lines. And they were very intrigued. And I ended up you know, sharing many uh, ideas. And they shared many ideas with me afterwards. But one, uh, one person admitted to me, one executive admitted to me, um, he said, um, well, it doesn't seem as politically correct to talk about economic class. And I said, well, that's what we talk about. And that's what we analyze. And you know, I gave him a copy of our book. So hopefully, we can change that, because poverty um, and economic class have such an impact on health. So, um, what health care disparities are is a, is a measure of uh, whether or not um, every patient in each ethnic, racial, gender group receive the same treatment, get the same opportunities for health care uh, testing and surgeries and so forth. And there are disparities linked with that. Again, I searched and searched, um, and maybe some of you might know some resources for some studies that just looked at economic class and health care disparities. And what I found was, um, if, there, if there are some, they're very difficult to find. So anyone who uh, knows of such studies that do not include, or even that do include um, race, ethnicity, gender, and have an overlay of economic class, I would love to see that. You know, I kind of left that meaning thinking zip codes and um, geographical uh, information systems along with gathering information about which disease, you know, you know, healthcare is looking at, okay, which populations are most at risk and are, that are our super users. And um, 
poverty again is missing for many of those assessments because they're just doing this by which disease do we see over and over again. But what we know is I can have COPD in the middle class stable resources, and I may have resources to have a different outcome. I may have different social capital than I would in, um, in poverty. And so I think the overlay onto our data of either zip code or the um, GIS system. Because I was in Napa a little while ago, and they said, you know, we have one zip code here, so we can't figure that out by zip code. We have to use geographical information systems that map our community. And usually your health department has that information. So here's what I see that support from the population health research that supports what we do in um, looking at poverty, middle class, or other economic uh, class environments and say, how does that have an influence on our behaviors, our priorities, our relationships? So David, all I'm seeing is this, so hopefully this works. Um, so I'm, there we go. So I'd like to just share with you that what I have noticed is that we have two models. We have pies that represent the environment of middle of, excuse me, economic class. And then we have this hand that is a measure of someone's strengths. And I really think if I could have, I would have made that hand jump back and forth within that economic class environment of the concrete experience of poverty that we see mostly uh, in the US or in um, countries that are developed. I think that, you know, it's it's would be silly, silly of us to say that poverty ha that economic class has the total control over our behaviors and the way we think and the way we prioritize things because everybody has different strengths and resources. So I just wanted to point out to you that really uh, Bridges is about the interaction between an individual's strengths and the environment that they're in. And the other thing that I wanted to share with you is, is that Sir, Sir Michael Marmot particularly has written books on this the Stratus syndrome about social capital and the impact of having deficits in social capital, which are your bonding and bridging social capital in your life. Uh, bonding would be people that you're in your inner circle that help you get by day, to day by day and, and uh, someone you call when something great or something horrible happens. Bridging social capital, the middle class will call the network. Um, in wealth, it may be called connections. But there's uh, a strong lack of social capital in poverty environments. The other thing is, uh, and that's a protective factor for health. So even though I'm in the um, poverty environment, if I have strong social capital, that is a protective factor according to population health research. Also, strong social cohesion in the community where you know we have different groups and uh, cultures, ethnicities, economic classes, genders. If everyone's just associating with their own group, that's not a protective factor health. But if we have social cohesion and relationships that are positive between groups, um, that will be a protective factor. So below I just listed some protective factors. I didn't want you to think it was just about individuals, it's also about institutions and communities having those protective factors or building those protective factors. So here's the mental model of poverty environment. And um, I'm very strong about this is not a person. You see those explosions because when you are in poverty or when we are in poverty, our resources are very tentative. So I'm sure that you've seen that when one thing explodes, like say uh, your car doesn't start or you get in an accident or whatever, there's a series of crises that follow that because 
there aren't the resources to deal with the first crisis. That doesn't mean that people aren't problem solvers. Absolutely, people in, in all economic classes are problem solvers, and that's part of our model. But uh, e this particular economic class doesn't provide you with the same problem-solving resources as others do, as other environments do. And so you do what you, you know, you, you problem-solve with the resources that you have. The population health uh, research states that um, these environments, which we use uh, to show that environment, we use um, pie charts, uh, is creates high stress, low hierarchy, low social capital, low social coherence. This is how you, you would be marginalized, perhaps, by your community. And there are other groups that we can be in, um, again, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, which also may have these same elements as part of those environments. And in poverty, particularly, living for the moment, in the moment, because you have to, because survival every day is an issue. It's not a given. So what the population health is saying, this environment um, to have these elements within the environment which push certain health care or health behaviors and other priorities. So this is, in, fact, in general, the population health um, would say uh, would be health behaviors, perceived motivation. Our language is this environment has certain hidden different communication patterns within environments. All of us are in this environment together for a while. We're going to tend to figure out and use those same patterns. Of course, I don't have much time to go into that into detail, but that is the essence of uh, the Bridges work. So just quickly, I met a man named Tom Bauer. And he, um, he was presenting on um, patient literacy. Um, and he works with the uh, University of North Carolina as well as Novant Health. And I, this was one of his slides, uh, 9 out of 10 patients do not receive health information the way they can understand. So we have a whole system of looking at how we communicate between different and between economic class environments and within economic class environments. But I highly recommend his work. He has, uh, he has a, a model called Ask Three and Teach Back. So basically, the three questions um, that the provider is sharing is, OK, here's what the okay, this health problem is going to be an issue for you. Here's the how. Here's the treatment. Here's what we can do about that. And then you ask the patient to teach that back. You don't just say, of course, do you understand? Because you know, like you said, like that one gra uh, graph said, or slide said, nine times out of 10, someone will say yes, and that might not be true. So here's the models of casual register, which we tend to see uh, most adults in poverty tend to, um, in some studies, I would say, uh, a percent of folks in poverty in some studies, only an 800-word vocabulary. This is certainly not true of everyone, but this would be in their first language. Uh, and then the formal register is the education ease, the litigation ease, the medical ease, the social work ease, and so forth. Um, it's just uh, typically a minimum of 1,700 word vocabulary. And also, the story structure may be very circular and not have a beginning, middle, and an end. It may start. So when somebody starts teaching back, it may not be in the sequ sequential way, the what, why, how, in that order. Uh, if you're in an environment that uses this pattern of casual 
uh, story structure or discourse pattern, you may actually um, be pretty entertaining in how you're teaching. But what the question I asked Tom was, how if someone is teaching back and they come from an environment where they may only have a casual register or typically use circular story structure, how do you keep the healthcare provider from looking at their watch and making relationships? And he looked at me, and he looked down, and he looked at me, and he said, I don't know. And I don't know if anyone does. But this is part of that individual patient engagement that Bridges to Health and Healthcare would provide. And he, you know, he and I spoke at great length afterwards because we were so interested in each other's work, and he was very interested in this concept. Um, we also use mental models, so my time is waning, um, but I just wanted to show you when we use mental models with individuals in poverty uh, or those that live in the tyranny of the moment environment, I should say, I always put a timeline on because uh, just like in the, in the class environment, you know, typically people have to take yoga to remember there is a moment, it's so future-oriented. And that's possible because today is taken care of, typically. Um, in poverty, I tend to, to look towards the now because I have to. It, poverty pushes that for me. And so um, you have the timeline. And of course, you're drawing out, here's what's been happening with you. Now here you are in the hospital. We're giving you this treatment plan. Come on, Arrow, which is right over here. And it shows you visually that your heart strength and your ability to walk and to engage with people in life and go to graduations and so forth uh, for your grandchildren are going to, it's going to be maintained. And here's what's going to happen if you do not um, access that treatment plan. And you know, this is the way to help someone see the future story, which is very abstract. And we don't understand, um, sometimes from a middle class perspective, how abstract OK, can I see the questions, please, may I? Go Jennifer, I, I have been to Oregon quite a bit. And our, one of our champions uh, in Bridges to Health and Healthcare there is Advantage Dental. And I think um, the um, integrated health model that Oregon has established is very interesting. So um, it looks like we do have a question here from uh, Christina, who asks, how would you uh, encourage employees to take advantage of health insurance offered by an employer? Well, I'm imagining that you are looking at um, employees maybe at the lower pay grade who might be in um, environmental services, food services, or perhaps even um, nurse assistants. And uh, I think that <laughs> one of my friends as a physician says, I'm confused about my health insurance, so I imagine that people are as well. So I, I think that relationship with HR is huge. But I also think that many, um, not many, but there are a significant number of hospitals who have used our work getting ahead in a just getting by world and actually allowed people to um, in, engage in that group, which is the same as Bridges Concepts. It's just a group uh, facilitated. Um, investigative process of looking at um, economic class and accessing in my life. I can use middle class hidden rules even though I'm in poverty. And one of those hidden rules would be to access future story. And health is all about that. Um, so that's a strategy that I know that has been used um, with hospitals. So I'm not sure if that's where your question came from. But I've heard that before. and. Um, 
thank you for asking the question. A couple more questions. We have a different Christine uh, asking uh, if there, you have any insight on how to incentivize provider participation in patient engagement models. Well, if you're at the decision-making um, table, and hopefully uh, you have access to that or someone that does, you can um, you can you know show the triple aim and say you know we're addressing the health outcome, we're addressing the cost. How how vulnerable are we when we get into working with specific uh, environments, patients in poverty, patients in different population health uh, environments? How are we addressing the quote-unquote super user? And are we still going to have to make changes at that individual level as well as the institutional level? The other thing that Bridges offers you are multiple strategies for engaging your community. And um, you know, you're going to have to have access to people in your community and organizations that provide um, food, transportation, housing, and so forth. Otherwise, patients are just not going to be able to uh, get to that level of health that's going to benefit the system as well as the community as well as their own uh, individual life. So I would say uh, if you don't already have uh, the Bridges to Health and Health uh, Care book, that may be one option. Or and, and of course, I would be happy to email with you. But there are there's a business case in the beginning of the book. And we have two champions uh, right now that are huge. One is Ellis Medicine and Schenectady, New York. And the other, of course, is Advantage Dental. And uh, Umpqua Health Alliance, which is a um, CCO in Oregon. So uh, Ellis Medicine has also uh, contributed several articles to our Vision to Action books that are all of uh, articles written by our champions throughout the country and sometimes in other countries. So I would recommend those resources as well. How the will the concept impact the quality yeah, end of the AAA? I would just say again that the, because we look at the environments, the concepts impact the quality of uh, end of the AAA because poverty will erode your outcomes. So unless you know that environment and what makes sense and what might motivate someone and how to engage someone so that they make their own argument for their own health change. Uh, so, you know, motivational interviewing, sort of a health coach kind of model, but what that's embedded with is the understanding of economic class. That will have a tremendous in impact on your health outcomes. Because if you miss that, if you miss the economic class um, vulnerabilities due to lack of resources, and, be, and again, that goes beyond housing, transportation, and so forth. You will find that you're getting kicked in the back door, I believe. So it's just, it's just a way of understanding and a lens to use so that you have better outcomes with, with populations that might be high-end users. Uh, Terrence has a question. I'm not sure how much experience you have uh, in Australia, but uh, her question is, how does the model work for Aboriginal families, uh, meaning uh, places with lower gradient correlation between income and health outcomes? I wonder if there's a probably a relation uh, between the, in the U.S. or, or First Nation uh, communities. I think uh, this model of economic class uh, works very similarly to my very first story, where the Native Alaskans said to me about thinking about my culture, thinking about my spirituality. I've never thought about my economic class. And economic class is an overlay to 
um, the race, the ethnicity, the cultural piece that is typically studied also in population health. So there's an overlay, and, and I really don't think uh, that you can separate them. I mean, we can back to that graph so you uh, that showed that different um, races and ethnicity, uh, different groups in those environments still had the impact of the poverty um, issue when it came to their overall health. So I think knowing and understanding and getting information and knowing how to build relationships uh, with folks in, in an Aboriginal uh, population is important. But then to also understand that the economic class piece is linked to it and maybe somewhat separate, somewhat linked. You have to kind of work through that. So when you have the bridges lens, you also need to have the cultural lens as well and to make that a fit for your particular community. And, uh, and I'd say one of the best things to do is engage individuals, patients in poverty at the decision-making table. That seems like a long way off for many institutions, but um, many times people go through getting ahead classes and really want to get to a table and really want to share their thoughts about how to make um, lives better across the board. This has been an AHA Process webinar podcast. Visit ahaprocess.com for more. Music courtesy of sound.com.